It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, welcome to The Break, the podcast with expert analysis and exclusive content from The Crucible. With Mark Allen and Sean Murphy having departed, we talk shocks, discuss the pros and cons of friendly match chat and speak to top coach Chris Henry, who looks after Sean and has just linked up with Mark Selby as well. Don't miss an episode of The Break by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that it is Eurosport and Eurosport.co.uk for all the live action from the Betfred World Snooker Championship. I'm Rachel Casey and I'm joined on this episode by the former world number three, Neil Foles, and Eurosport commentator uh, Dave Hendon. They're back. Thank goodness. Fresh, feeling mighty after all of the, the long hours in the commentary box. How have you enjoyed it, Dave? Oh, I always enjoy it, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's sort of uh, potluck in terms of what matches we get. I think sometimes you, we start a match and on the other table there's a great finish. So we started Mark Selby's match with Jordan Brown while McGill and Lazowski were going at it. But yeah, it's always enjoyable, of course. It's almost like you're talking about the worst and the best there. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we know what it's like to play snooker. I, I've played at the cruise. We, you can get involved in some great matches. It's not always plain sailing. And I think when you're commentating, you have to accept that. You know, it's tough out there for these guys and you can't be too critical of anyone. What we like are pulsating finishes, close finishes, even if it's not a great game. You know, a 9-all or a 12-all decider, whatever stage you're at, can be very interesting. You know, I, mean, I, was, I did a qualifier a couple of years ago that was a two-hour deciding frame, a record. And it was brilliant because it was the deciding frame it wouldn't be great if it was the first frame of a match but we love all these matches to go close you know well we've got so much to discuss we're recording this episode after the afternoon session on Wednesday so make sure you check out eurosport.co.uk for details of what happened at the crucible in Wednesday's evening action with Maguire and Gould playing to a finish in the final match in round one but let's talk about the key results over the past couple of days shocks First round drama and, of course, one of the biggest of them all was Jamie Clark beating Mark Allen. Let's hear from the debutante. Mark was playing out of his skin and uh, I never thought really I could win the match till right to the end when, you know, I was, I was trying to hold myself together. It's easier said than done. You know, especially you can't feel your body and you're just trying to keep still and it must look different on camera. But, uh, yeah, very overwhelming, uh, very emotional and um, obviously very pleasing. So emotional, so pleasing. And it was just so lovely. He was just like a rabbit in the headlights, wasn't he? Didn't expect to win the match. You know, he's just overjoyed, Neil, to be at the Crucible. He loved the experience, but 
I think listening to him afterwards, I don't think he really fancied actually winning the match, did he? No, but sometimes, you know, you can be under little pressure in a match. You think, well, OK, I'm out there for the experience. I'm, no one thinks I'm going to beat Mark Allen. That could have been his standpoint. But then when it gets close and you think, hang on, I could win this, it can all sometimes go wrong. The pressure gets on somebody's shoulders. I actually think that it's one of the biggest shocks at the Crucible. There's been a load over the years. A few I can remember, just briefly. Michael Wosley beat Ding Junhui in a very close first-round match. He's not even on the tour anymore. And Deshawat Pumjang, who seems to have also disappeared off the tour, beat Stephen Maguire. Where um, is he? He was uh, just the funnest person yeah. ever to watch, wasn't he? He was outrageous at times. Well, it, what happened to him, um, he, you know, he had a great game in beating Maguire. Maguire didn't enjoy it, I can tell you. I thought he was... Uh, well, he, didn't, he wasn't happy. And then he completely got swept away by his next match against Michael White and I don't know he's trying to get the crowd involved of course he wouldn't be able to do that this year um, he's played in the shootout and he's just gets completely um, I don't know he, he's just a bit bit uh, crazy in a cracked. good way absolutely but, cracked but, yeah I mean look I know that Dave actually tipped him Dave Hendon alongside which is a brilliant tip but I didn't think Jamie Clark would win he was off the tour and he's got on the tour by being here and I guess he, he's up for none now but what a nice lad. I liked watching him in the qualifiers. I liked speaking to him. And he seems to be full of joy, you know, and that's what you want sometimes at snooker, isn't it? It's not always like that. Guy's a lovely lad, absolutely. And uh, 10 out of 10, Mr Hendon? Well, I just felt that there's a couple of things. Firstly, there's always seems to be there's one that you sort of don't see coming. And I just felt like talking to Jamie, seeing him at the qualifiers, you could see that he was so happy to qualify because he kept his tour card. You know, he went to the qualifiers thinking he was going to drop off the tour, go to Q school. So just so happy happy to be at the Crucible. I think the fact there was no crowd, you could argue, did help him, you know, because there would have been more pressure had there been a big crowd in there. And he just seemed determined to enjoy it. And actually not thinking he was going to win was a good thing. He wasn't putting pressure on himself. He finished it off so well, though. He did a great interview on Eurosport last night as well. Uh, very pleased for him, you know. Great win. Superb performance and a deserved victory. Nopon Sang can beat uh, Sean Murphy. That was another big surprise. Obviously, things very, very difficult for, for Sean in, in recent weeks. So maybe not the biggest of surprises that he, he underperformed. No, that's right. Um, and also, Nopon Sang come, I do think, is a very good player. I do believe that. He, you know, he's somebody who is improving a lot. He's a good match player. You know, he, he's actually got a win over Mark Selby to his name and, and that's who he plays in the next round he's lost to him a few times as well I might add um, but but he's a good player and he's another one um, I actually spoke to a good friend of mine Alfie Burden uh, yesterday who's up at Q School and he was on the next table he said he's never seen anyone practice as much as Nopon Sankam he's on the table all day every day that he's been up there he's been on a table so he's getting the rewards I'd say Sonny Akani might give him a, a good run for his agree. money <laughs> uh, but a brilliant win for the, the Thai player and you know it will be tough. It could be a good battle, a big battle, actually, knowing both their styles at this stage. Yeah, I think, again, though, it's sort of everything's a bonus now. You know, he's got through that first round for the first time. He seems a delightful young man, you know, very humble, as, as the Thai players seem to be. Um, of course, it's going to be very difficult against Mark Selby to, to sort of recreate that, that performance and that victory. But, you know, he's there, that's the point, and he's given himself every chance. I think if he can start well then he's got every chance. I think if he falls behind early on, you know, it could actually be quite a heavy defeat. But uh, but we'll see. Mark Selby, because my tip, Rachel, your tip, I think, has, has gone out, hasn't, it? hasn't he? See, he's getting cocky now. <laughs> Just because he tipped Jamie Clark to beat Mark Allen. Yeah, I fell at the first hurdle massively. Uh, but you can still change your mind, though, because I know how much you've enjoyed um, Mark Selby and Jordan Brown commentating on that match. Well, it wasn't a good match. There's no point pretending otherwise, but he is still in the tournament. That's just a fact. 
I'll take you up on one thing. I, I don't think it'll be a heavy defeat. If, if, if Mark Selby beats him, I think I don't see how he can beat him easily from what I saw of Mark's game against Jordan. He gave him so many chances. Look, I'm not saying Mark won't win. That'd be crazy. He's three times world champion. He loves the long matches. But I would be little surprised of any of those results if Selby beat him comfortably because I'm not sure how heavily he's scoring. But it's a fascinating match and there are so many stories unfolding. I think what you can all get carried away by is one round of results. I mean, Mark was poor. Uh, we were on both sessions, Dave and I, and even Dave will concede that, despite tipping him, that he was poor. But I, I think sometimes you get into the best of 25s and you think, hang on a minute, that was one day, this is another round, this is where the tournament unfolds. And I, I say it again, you know, you start getting in towards the second week and beyond, and that's what that sorts out the men from the boys. You Dave know. Hendon will never back down. Here's what <laughs> Selby said about working with the new coach, uh, Chris Henry. Yeah, I mean, it's early days yet, but uh, definitely feel better than what I was, obviously, before I went on board with him. And I thought if I was coming here to have a good chance, I probably needed to do something different. Uh, so me and Chris spoke, had a chat and come up with an agreement that will be together for a year and see what happens. But uh, like I say, it's still early days, but I'm enjoying it again, which is the main thing. Well, earlier I spoke to Chris Henry, the professional subconscious mental and performance coach who also works with Sean Murphy. And Chris told me that his coaching relationship with Selby started after a phone call just a few months ago. He explained a few things as to where he was. And, you know, typically professional sports people start to sort of turn over all the stones and try and find out what's wrong. And sometimes they're barking up the wrong tree. They can start to blame things that actually aren't ineffective. And that's one of the things that Mark was doing. He was looking at the technical side of his game and there's absolutely nothing wrong with him technically. It was a little bit of visual. There's some visual coordination issues. And of course, you know, if you're not getting the results on the table, it it can affect your confidence. Absolutely. Uh, So we've, we've looked at all the areas. We've identified what the weaknesses are. And now he's also on a what we call the neural rewiring process to create better automatic thoughts, which release different chemicals to make you feel better, basically. How quickly can we rewire Mark Selby if he's to win the world championship? <laughs> well, the good, the good thing for Mark, obviously, is he's an incredible snooker player. He's three times former world champion. Um, hasn't maybe done too well in recent times. But what we've got to do is bring all of those wonderful memories back into his, let's say, recent memory file bank, if you like. And so we're using some tools through our five senses, our audios and videos and visualisation to help him just to remember a little bit about who he is and what he's done. And also prove to him that his on-table game is is there. He's just got to trust it again now and uh, move on quickly. What you've got to be very good at is doing the things that help you to perform at your best, things that you can actually control. And it's important to get rid of all the things you can't control that you can get you know, frustrated with that can affect the way you feel. So he's got a little bit caught up in trying to control things that he can't control and trying to affect things that didn't need affecting. He's, he's in a much better place, I believe. He's more perky now. He's, he's, he's a lot more bubbly again. He, he's, 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 he's sounding far more confident. He's never lost being perky and bubbly. I can, I can definitely assure you of that, you know, even when he has been suffering with, with confidence and maybe not playing uh, to the great levels that we, we've seen him do so often in the past. Um, Chris, I'll just ask you as well, you know, it's another thing that, that's cropped up, certainly looking to, to last night and uh, Jamie Clark and and Mark Allen, uh, there's a couple of ways of looking at, you know, how the players interacted out there. You know, a lot of people saying that, you know, they, they shouldn't be talking, they shouldn't be laughing, uh, all of that. Now, 
Stephen Hendry, a former client of yourself, he would barely give them a, a look, a nod in the desert. What is your take on that? And what advice would you give to a player? Well, I think everybody's different. You know, you, you can look at people like Martin Selby. He's the kind of guy that would like to have a bit of an interaction with different people and tell a few jokes and say a few funny things. And, you know, some players don't like to do that. You know, the Steve Davis, I would, I would imagine, wouldn't have been in the 80s the kind of person that would get involved in that sort of chit-chat. I don't see an issue with it. Basically, when you get to that table, the office door opens and it's work time. When you sat down in your chair, it's a, it's a different situation. So... Can you switch that on and off? Are you the kind of person that can do that? And if you're not, then maybe you need to stay inside that bubble and not get involved in that kind of stuff. Big disappointment, obviously, for Sean yesterday. It was always going to be a really difficult after a few very, very tough weeks for him. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I could sense that he was he was not right emotionally. He's a little bit flat, you know, the whole thing with the situation and the World Championships. His former manager, Brandon, obviously, unfortunately passed away. And an accumulation of a few different things, I think, uh, affected him mentally. And you could, you could see that. You could see it in his preparation. You know, he, he had to go into an isolation period, you know, for a few days before the Crucible. So his preparation, in my opinion, wasn't optimum. But of course, Sean will never use that as an excuse. He's, he's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you be giving to uh, Mark Selby before his next match? Well, what we've done with Mark, we've absolutely proven that he's technically very, very good. So the advice for Mark is get back to doing what you do best. You know, he's a brilliant match player. He knows all the shots. He's a fantastic, you know, his strategy is brilliant. Chris, were you worried when you saw his performance against Jordan Brown? No, I wasn't worried because he handled it very well. He was very positive afterwards because he said, I didn't go down that track mentally of concerning myself with things because the belief that there isn't something wrong technically is there now. And that worry that you go back to the table with something wrong technically breeds doubts and anxiety. That is a big thing for him. That doubt and anxiety and that worry that he had has disappeared. So he knows what the issues are. We're working on them. He's very talented, Mark. You know, he, he picks things up very quickly. And we're working also on concentration. He mentioned that, I think, in one of his interviews the other day. And we use what we call it, we won't go too technically again, but we use an ADC process that keeps the conscious brain very busy around the table, uh, allowing the subconscious to pick up you know, shots and, and instruct instinctively what mm-hmm. is the best shot to play. That's what he's going to be doing. I think we all need one of those from time to time. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. A great pleasure as always. And uh, like all of us, yourself and uh, many a snooker fan out there, be a joy to see Mark Selby get back to his very, very best. Well, that's the, that's the plan and uh, let's hope so. Are we talking enough time to completely turn it around? I think Chris Henry's very impressive. Uh, he's worked with a lot of players. I have to say, having commentated on the whole match, both myself and Neil did every ball, Mark Selby didn't look like he was enjoying a single minute of it. He looked concerned about his game. He looked right from the off like he was under pressure. Um, it may be that now he's through that first round. You know, we talk about how first rounds are different. He can relax into the event. The matches get longer. But I think in terms of... I mean, look, I, I, we keep saying I tipped him to win it. I think in terms of him winning the title, he can't just sort of bruise his way through. He's got to start scoring. He's got to start playing better. And if he doesn't, he'll be in trouble, no doubt about it, regardless of anything that, that his coach has said. I agree. That, that's very fair. And I, I, I mean, I, listen, we'd like to see him play better. Um, I think sometimes it's a bit... The players we're a bit critical of... Because a few people said to me, oh, you were very hard on 
Mark Selby yesterday. It's, it's almost the one you have a bit of a soft spot for, like Jack Lizowski gets bad uh, rap sometimes, and because we all know what a great player he is. With Mark, you know, we know that he's come from, you know, very humble background. You know, his father died when he was very young, and, he, you know, he's been through it all, really. He turned professional age 16, and he, he had some very average results after that. So he's worked his way to the top. We admire him greatly for that. And, and now if anyone's critical of him, it's because we're not seeing what we know he can be like. Well, as a sadly, person. actually, I was listening to the commentary on, on, on the the first match and I kind of thought when we had this podcast we would have probably a little bit of a Selby bashing well maybe but um, you know I think we can I can remember the days when I first saw him play at the Crucible and he had some great results you know he knocked in a lot of big breaks against John Higgins who he played a couple of times way before they ever met in the final and I thought he looked like he played with a bit of joy and a bit of love for the game and I don't see that I don't see that. I don't see how you can win without it. It's easy to say, sitting here, you know, go out and enjoy yourself because that's a, such a cliche. Well, actually, if, if I think people used to say that to me towards the end of my career. I'd say, well, go out and just uh, enjoy yourself. Well, I, you know, I'd probably take a few beers out there with me if I could enjoy myself and, you know, <laughs> and, and a bit like that. But it's not as simple as that. You you only enjoy it if you are feeling it. And um, listen, he, he can win the world title, all right? But I think, as Dave pointed out, that he does need to find something different, not only in his game, Game, but the way he looks. I mean, it's, it's difficult out there. I know it's a different environment, but Jordan Brown, who could even be listening to this because he's a big fan, he, he had nothing to beat against Jordan. Jordan was terrible in that game. He's a better player than that. He played great in the qualifiers, but I think even, even he would admit that he would have been disappointed to lose in that way. My feeling on Selby is actually he needs to find a way to relax more and actually not spend more time thinking about his game. He is a player who will be analytical, he'll dwell on things. He texts a lot of ex-players for advice, asking them what do you think's wrong. Maybe he's thinking too much and maybe when he gets out there his mind's a bit clouded and he can't play with more freedom. So maybe the the sort of trick is, I'm not saying go out with some beers because you can't do that these days, but find a way of be more relaxed because you know he didn't look at all relaxed at any point in that match and as the matches get longer it's going to be harder to be in that mindset and win I mean Neil's right Jordan Brown and he'll admit it himself he didn't play well if Selby had played a couple of the other qualifiers you know he could have lost as a a snooker player Neil in the past you know do you have you been flitting in and out between different coaches like how how many coaches can you have And, and and realistically like how good can it be well, I think I think I can remember one conversation I had with with a good friend of mine, Terry Griffiths, who was actually a coach. But at the time, the, the daddy of them all was a guy called Frank Callan. Now there'll be people listening who might have even been coached by Frank. He's no longer with us. He died into, into his 90s just a few years ago. He was an elderly man when I first knew him, late 70s, early 80s. But I thought he was a great coach. And I think I, he wasn't my coach, but he's someone you could phone up. And of course, you'd phone him up. He lived up in Blackpool. And as soon as I say, hello, it's Neil Folds here, he'd just laugh because he knew why you'd he'd seen your results. He, he'd thinking, well, no, he's, he's only phoning me. He was he, expecting the call. He knows I can't, he couldn't pot a ball. And I remember saying to Terry Griffiths one day, I said, I wonder if Frank minds me ringing um, and trying to go up and get a, an hour. He goes, listen, one thing you know about Frank, he's used to people phoning him up who are at their complete wits end. They cannot <laughs> see a way out of the mess they're in. And a few times I did that. I can remember one time in particular when I, I, I was speaking to my dad. I said, look, I, I was playing in the Masters at, you know, at Wembley, a local tournament for me. And I was playing Steve Davis. And I said, I just don't think I can make a 20 break. So I drove up to, to Frank 
saw Frank, and I beat Steve, literally, you know, the point that these great coaches make and that Chris Henry makes is that um, sometimes you're barking up the wrong tree and with it, Frank could get you hitting the ball beautifully in, in half an hour. You know, he was quite a tough man, you know. It was all, there was nothing about the psychological side of the game. It was his way or the highway, you know, and, uh, and he was just, he basically, he would be very blunt, but he knew what he was talking about. So I, th- I think that you've just got to accept that players are going to be at their wits and they've tried everything they need a fresh set of eyes so I don't blame Mark for seeing Chris Henney or, or anybody else but um, and, and Terry was another coach that I had some involvement with they're the best two I, I can think of there are others who I never was the, the, the lad you mentioned that Ronnie ran over his, his... Ronnie ran over his foot a guy called Frank <laughs> Adamson who um, actually coached Stephen Lee of course he's not in the game anymore for different reasons but he had a most beautiful cue action and then uh, I remember we was at the hotel just across the road from the Crucible the St Paul's and, uh, and Ronnie was was there and Frank Adamson was there and he was his coach for that time and lovely old, uh, old, old elderly gentleman and then I saw him he had a big plaster on his foot Ronnie when they were reversing in he reversed his car right over his foot broke all the bones in his football. I never saw him again. He was in a wheelchair all week. He was a good coach as well, but I think for every... Knowing Roddy O'Sullivan's driving, he wouldn't have been reversing over it slowly. I know that no. much. Frank Callan was the, the, the guy I mentioned first. To me, he was a very special man, very special coach. And I know that Stephen Hendry, who does a brilliant impersonation of him, by the way, because he gets, he's got his accent off to a T. You know, he had a lot of fondness for him as well. Steve Davis, all these guys. And, and I think he was the guy that got Terry Griffiths involved. He was, he was a very, very very clever man who could who could see something in in a player that they were doing wrong very quickly. So I have a lot of a lot of fondness for him. Do you think you have to be a good player to be a good coach? Not necessarily, no. I mean, obviously, Terry Griffiths, who we, Nils mentioned, was a world champion. And actually, Ray Reardon was in Ronnie O'Sullivan's corner when he won his second world title. At least they can prove they've gone out and done it. But no, I think, I think what you need from a coach is actually to, for them to be persuasive and to sometimes you're just looking for something to believe in. And it can just give you that extra edge of confidence. But I think the sort of other side of that is sometimes if you're low, if you're low on confidence and you're worrying about your technique and you're worrying about maybe new things you should be trying particularly in the world championship it must be hard just to concentrate on playing you know Um, and I just wondered in that first match if that was maybe a slight issue for Mark well the final thing about that I'll say about how a coach can definitely help you is what happened with Doug Mountjoy because I played him at the Crucible and he could not pot a ball against me. I beat him 13-1, and, and, and he was a player that I'd had lots of trouble with. And I thought, wow, what's happening here? He was just in the point of thinking about changing his game, or well, this is going to be a nightmare. He's mid-40s, wasn't he? About 45 or something, Dave, wasn't he? Anyway, 46. 46, yeah. And, and then, of course, I played him in the, um, the UK Championship a few months later, and he beat me heavily. I thought, wow, I've gone backwards. It turned out he'd gone forward with Frank Callan helping him, and he beat Stephen Hendry in the final, age 46, with, you know, at one point he made three back-to-back centuries so he was completely changed rejuvenated as a player probably never better than at that point because he believed in something you know I think the technical side had worked and he believed it so the, the, the other side of it the confidence came back so they can help you Okay, we were talking to uh, Chris Henry about, you know, players being perhaps a little bit too palsy. Uh, Neil and I were commentating on Jamie Clark and Mark Allen the first session where there were a lot of laughs, there was a bit of chat and a lot of people were kind of, maybe it's unfair criticism. There were a lot of talking about maybe they shouldn't be so friendly uh, to, to each other. We said at the time that the game was played in good spirit. It was. I think that the problem is that it's, there's a disparity there. Jamie Clark was on his Crucible debut. He would have been nervous and he would have needed something to settle him down. And what better than your opponent essentially doing that to you? Having a laugh and a joke, you know, saying it's all right. 
you know, enjoy yourself sort of thing. Had Mark Allen just blanked him, who knows, it could have been a different story. I know one thing, you would not have got anything out of Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry, John Higgins, all these great multi-champions. You get nothing out of them. Ronnie O'Sullivan doesn't laugh and joke with, with his opponent in, in their seat. Um, it's easy to say now, well, Mark Allen lost, that's the reason. Of course it's not, but... Early on, it must have been a help to Jamie. The other thing is, and what Chris Henry said is right, each to their own. But what about if the guy you're talking to doesn't want to speak back? Um, what choice does he have if he's a young up-and-coming player? You know, and Has he just got to be polite or does he say, look, I don't want to talk to you? Well, I've always thought, Neil, it's a bit different this year because they've got the screen, but it always looks uncomfortable. You're always sat very close at the crucible, too close to another person, yeah. really. And it must be there must be times where the other person will try and say something or make a comment, and you've got to decide, do I get involved or not? One of the best friends I had in snooker, certainly in my playing day, was, was Terry Griffiths. Uh, and I played him twice over the best of 25 at the crucible. And I can guarantee in those six sessions, we never said one word to each other. Not one word, but of course, we'd be maybe having a bite to eat before the game or after not a word and I played Willie Thorne another good friend of mine the late Willie Thorne didn't no chance of us saying a word during those matches because it just didn't feel the right thing to do back then maybe things have changed who knows there's no rights and wrongs but it wouldn't have suited me and it didn't suit as you pointed you've named all the great players they're not interested were they no, and, you know, as, as I say, we're, we're reacting because Mark Allen lost, but I don't know, you might look back on that and think, you know, why did I sort of put him at ease? Because it's worth saying, Jamie Clark, the lowest-ranked qualifier, you know, bundle of nerves coming out, needed to settle down, and, and that maybe did help him. I'm not too sure about whether he was a, a bundle of nerves. I mean, he was, he was like, tapping his knee, just, it was almost like he was watching a show and he was, he was having the, the greatest time ever. Maybe Mark could have made it uncomfortable for him, but I think... You know, different strokes for different folks. I think, you know, you have to be true to yourself. And if, if that's the way Mark is, that's the way he is. Yeah, and also he might have been trying to settle himself as well. That's the thing. He, he might have been doing it to try and ease himself into the match. You know, I think, it, it, to be honest, it, it's not a huge issue, is it? You know, and it, it's not a bad thing to see people actually enjoying what they're doing as well. No, that's correct. The, what, the other thing to say is, let's be honest, how did Mark lose that match? How he played? He played some absolutely breathtaking snooker and still lost. I mean, that, this is where the game is so strange. We we saw uh, in the uh, Tour Championship, you know, in a best of 17 frame match, Sean Murphy made, I think, six centuries and lost. They only win one frame, those big breaks, don't they? The close frames mean more sometimes. Yeah, that was against Mark Allen as well. So he, yeah. he sort of had the other side of it. Yeah, amazing, really. I guess it, what, what it comes down to always though, at the Crucible is if it goes close, who can stand up? And Jamie Clark had every right not to. But he did. Let's talk about one other match that really stands out in the first round. You talk about matches going close. It went all the way. And Anthony McGill beating Jack Lazowski came from 9-6 down to, to really put it up to the Scotsman. But he was cool and he did ever so well to win. A terrific game. On the colours, the blue, pink and black on the table, both players having a series of shots. We thought we could go to a black ball finish, which doesn't happen at the Crucible very often uh, over the years. But, you know, a great game. I feel for, for, for uh, Jack Lazowski. We, 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 we speak about him a lot. But I think he, on this occasion, I think we have to say he played his part in a, in a terrific first round match and he had a bad draw because McGill is um, pretty cool and, and collected out there he's got a good temperament so he's he could go a long way McGill I, you know he's played in the 25s before you know he, he beat um, Selby and, and, and uh, the year that Selby won it for the first time Well we saw McGill winning obviously uh, Barry Hawkins who's got a a fine pedigree, never won the World Championship, but he's uh, been to the one table setup for for many, many years. And uh, he was a winner who has enhanced their their reputation, their chance of, of winning the title, do you think, after the first round? 
Well, actually, you mentioned Hawkins. Interesting one, because he wasn't spoken about this year. Every other year, everyone says, oh, well, Barry Hawkins, stick him in the quarters of the semifinals now. You might as well. He'd always be there. But he's been quiet. He had a bad season last year. I didn't think he was... He didn't look quite right off the table either. I didn't think he was himself. You know, I know he's had a few issues that he's spoken about in the last three or four years, but hopefully that's no longer the case. He's got a new cue. And he beat Alexander Urson backer very easily. So now we're back to the old Hawk, which is quite a nice thing, really. Everything is okay in the world, really, when the Hawk is winning matches at the Crucible. <laughs> you make it sound so romantic. <laughs> we're back to the old Hawk. There's a big difference, isn't there, between the first round and the longer format matches, you know, which players will, on, on this occasion for this year, Dave, uh, encounter for the first time. But, you know, the old Hawk, the old dogs, they're coming back as well. And they'll be really strong in this format. Definitely. And I think Barry Hawkins, obviously the format somehow suits him. He's not a player who sort of panics too much. I think that, you know, even if he's a few down in a match, he, he sort of believes in himself. We always say, and it's an old cliche about Barry, he's under the radar, although you can't really be under the radar at the Crucible. But he was the last player to actually start, wasn't he, last night um, in the in the first round? Came through very comfortably. I was surprised, actually. I did think Urson Backer would play a lot better. Yeah, you know, Barry likes the Crucible. But the, the one thing he hasn't done, of course, he's won it here. That's the one thing he hasn't done. He did uh, fall apart a little bit in the semis two years ago to Mark Williams. So it's whether he... he gets deep again whether he can actually you know go all the way and uh, looking to Mafflin and Higgins of course the first uh, last 16 match to get underway and uh Mafflin probably would have been a name that would have been thrown out there. Well, he's never played a, a match this long in his career. And the Higgins factor, obviously, been in the last three finals and the pedigree he has here. But he's he started well anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, John Higgins has won so many best of 25 frame matches to have got to the last three finals, of course. Um, he's made a good start. You're right. And sometimes in that, I think if you've not played a best of 25, a three session match, you can be a bit numb in the first session. You, you can't really see the winning line. But Mafflin just marches on playing some good stuff I think the middle session of those 25 frame matches is the one that's when a player can make a move I've seen many a 4 or a 5-3 deficit end up uh, you know a 10-6 or 11-5 lead because the middle session is the one that can sometimes catch somebody who's not used to it unaware so a reserve judgment on that match and all the others really until you really get a foothold in, into the games I tell you what though whoever was operating the fake applause was having fun because there was one frame where John Higgins took on a long red mist and got a round of applause. And then in the next frame, he played a beautiful shot all round the angles into the pack, got lovely on a red, nothing. So they're having fun back there. Tough crowd. Very tough crowd. Tough (laughs) fake crowd. Uh, Last 16 matches, uh, of course, underway. And the evening session on Wednesday, we'll see the start of Mark Williams and Stuart Bingham. While it's uh, Higgins and Mafflin, as we've already touched on, underway. Williams and Bingham, two former champions. What do we make of that? It's going to be an interesting game, isn't it? Obviously, um, you look at players like that and people, you know, so many people speak to me, oh, is it, you know, who are the up and coming future world champions? Well, actually, we've got two guys that haven't got to worry about that. They've both won the world championship. One is currently the Masters champion, Stuart Bingham. Bit of a shock when he did it, you know, and Mark Williams won the world championship, not the most recent, but the one before that. So uh, sometimes you can look beyond the obvious and these are two big players right now. There's going to be a very interesting game and uh, we'll see how that goes, but the, we'll, we'll be into it and of course the first session is getting underway and then we'll move on to the the, the business end of that match I wouldn't like to say that's a tough game which second round match Dave are you most looking forward to I think Ronnie Ding's going to be very interesting. Uh, Ding has beaten him at the Crucible. He beat him at the UK Championship this season. Ronnie played beautifully against Tepchar and Nu. He's spoken about the fact he actually prefers not having a lot of people around him. It's whether he can produce that when he's put under pressure. That's the interesting thing. If he can play that well against Ding, if he can beat Ding easily, then there's every reason to believe Ronnie's going to win the tournament. 
even though he's got a lot of other players to, to meet yet. But if he's if he can play that well against Ding and, and as I say, win easily, then he's the favourite for me. Well, there wouldn't be a sign of five to two around if Ronnie was to beat Ding easily. He's the currently joint favourite with uh, Judd Trump and Neil Robertson, 11 to two. And then it's 12 to one then, jumping to John Higgins, who obviously didn't start very well against uh, Kurt Mafflin. Yeah, I mean, look, with the bookmakers, they do look at who's playing who. And I, and I think they probably, you know, the sponsors are probably thinking, right, OK, well, we think that Judd Trump will beat... Um, uh, Jan Bingtel, and I think everything points to that, given that Bingtel's never beaten him and he wasn't overly impressive. As far as Ronnie, it's a bit of a sticky one, isn't it, playing Ding Junhui, who the last time they played at the Crucible, Ding won. They played, the last time they played in anything, Ding won. Aside from that, there's an awful lot of O'Sullivan easy wins against him. So that's got the potential, as, as you know, Dave pointed out. It's going to be a, a real classic game. And uh, I, think, I always think that Ronnie just about has the edge, despite Ding having some results somewhere against him. Very, very exciting. Next round. And, uh, well, I'm out already. I tipped to Mark Allen. Mark Selby's 12-1, to 1, so you're still going strong on that, Dave? Well, the point is he's still in the tournament. You know, we, we've spoken about the match. It wasn't great. We've spoken about the problems he's got with his game. You know, if he's still here at the final weekend, Neil, will, will you accept he can win the tournament? <laughs> if, uh, if, if he wins the tournament, will you accept it then? <laughs> no, listen, uh, yeah, I, I don't think he can win this year. I, and nothing. I've, in fact, I'm actually probably feel even more strongly that he won't win. I'm happy to say that. If he does, I don't mind. I, I like Mark. I mean, he's, an, he's one of the, you know, he's, uh, he asks everybody uh, for their advice. He's asked me before what I think about his game. And he's a better player than I ever was I always say to him why are you asking me you're a better player than me Um, so good luck to him he'll have to improve as I think we all agree on that and I don't think his match against Nopon Sankam is any way a certainty I think that's a very interesting game on paper I think after all that chat we all want to see the fun brought back with Mark Selby his game he's still a big player and well as Dave said he's still in it at least he's still in it thank you so much to to Neil to Dave Uh, great stuff lads again and uh, that's it for now we hope you enjoyed the episode of The Break We'd love if you could subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. And don't forget, it's Eurosport, eurosport.co.uk for all the live action from the World Snooker Championship. We'll be back with more in a couple of days' time. But until then, from Dave, Neil and myself, it's goodbye. 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 Goodbye.